DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Masters getting underway. This is the week, people. Gear up. It's Azaleas. It's Augusta. And it's Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio. Join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This You Into Golf Masters update with Brian Taylor is brought to you by Mountain Land Supply, Zions Bank, Hoops Vision, Siegfried and Jensen, and Black Desert Resort. Now, here's Real Golf Radio's Brian Taylor. Brian, welcome in. Thanks for joining us. We're ready to talk some golf. But first, I want to talk food. <laughs> Let's so we've heard the promo. If you didn't hear the interview live, and you were talking with uh, with Scotty and Hands about uh, DJ and the pigs in a blanket. Once upon a time, doing radio a long time ago, and I I think it was in the early days with PK, but it, it might have been way back with Gordon and Ron Boone. But whatever, somehow it was DJ. What would you order with the Masters? And I had a few of my favorite foods, and somebody said that sounds like what you'd get at Chuckarama, and everybody had a good laugh at my expense. I couldn't help but listen to that and say, pigs in a blanket and lobster? I took a lot of grief for a lot more. But does DJ take any grief for that? Or once you have the green jacket, it's like you're, uh, you're grief-proof, you're bulletproof. You can order whatever you want. Pigs in a blanket yeah. and lobster? Yeah. Where in America would you get that other than the champion's dinner at Augusta? <laughs> I, I would say that's probably one of the more casual items on maybe the uh, most prestigious dinner in sports, right? I mean, pigs in a blanket. I mean, that. By the way, I was, if it was back in the, uh, the the Gordon Monson and Ron Boone era, I was probably producing that show. So uh, yeah. there's probably some tape of that somewhere. But <laughs> any, anyway, I yeah, I mean, pigs in a blanket. The way I grew up was uh, was about as rudimentary as you could get. You'd pop open the old Pillsbury dough tube, you know, make the pop, and then wrap that wrap a hot dog in one of that that dough and, and bake it for. 15 minutes or something that's pigs in a blanket from what i was able to see from the uh post from the masters is apparently it was kielbasa in a puff pastry which is a, a bit of a stretch for what i would call pigs in a blanket it looked a whole lot fancier than than that but but yeah i mean leave it to dj right i mean he, he dj loves the sandwiches uh there was a video of him last week making up his own version of a pimento cheese and and how he likes to do it and and that type of thing so you know he if it was up to dj he'd probably just as soon uh serve serve some plain master sandwiches out there at the dinner but that that's i mean he's a he's a southern guy he's a casual guy he's a pretty simple dude and and he's just you know he, he doesn't need a whole lot to be happy yeah that's the essence uh golf digest had a big story on him and that was the whole essence of him it's just golf and he took that mindset, and he's been able to play better. It's a big story about Mike Weir. I think Feinstein wrote it, too, if you should get Golf Digest, which I do. So I read it the other day, talking about Mike and his life, which we've chronicled here. As far as Dustin Johnson goes, in my mind, I want to get your opinion of this. In my mind, to me, if he's on, now you got to be on, obviously, but if he's on, he is the best player in the world, and he will win it. Well, it's hard to argue with that, you know. I mean, especially right now. You know, we, we've had conversations around this. If you took, you know, these players at their best, all with their A game, who would you pick? And it's an interesting discussion. I think a lot of us, a lot of us point to Rory McIlroy when we're having those conversations. But Rory's out of sorts a little bit right now. So um, that doesn't mean he can't get it back this week or he hasn't able to find something. But he kind of went down that uh, rabbit hole chasing Bryson and got lost. Uh, didn't leave the breadcrumbs as Bryson talked about 
that, that he left uh, when, when he went down that hole to make sure he could get back out if he needed to. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, Dustin Johnson is, is, um, is an amazing talent. The fact that he's only won two majors is a bit of a head-scratcher. I mean, he's, he's pro- he, not probably. He is the most consistent player in the last two decades on the PGA Tour with at least one win every single year. It's phenomenal what DJ's been able to do with his career, and yet I don't think he's even peaked. That, that's, the, that's the amazing thing about DJ is I don't think anybody that follows the game would suggest that DJ has peaked. And so I, I, think, I think he has a, a lot more to win and, and could be a, a Phil Mickelson-type player that wins the Masters you know, later in his career and ends up having a, a whole major career, you know, late, late in his 30s and into his 40s. Most people love to sink and guess. I'm going to give you a chance to sink and guess. Are you ready? I want to okay. I want to rip right through these. I want you immediate reaction, very quick. Just jump in. We have a uh, Masters draft with Bob. It's three rounds, three guys, nine players, females off the board. He's a local guy. Everybody knows him. Everybody wants him to win. So he's everybody's pick. So he's the tenth guy, but we can't draft him. Okay. So here's a nine. Quick reaction. Are you ready? Yep. Justin Thomas. Pick him. Jordan Spieth. Pick him. Bryson DeChambeau. I don't pick him. D, uh, Dustin Johnson, you've already talked about. John Rahm. Yep. Rory McIlroy. Mm, question mark. Xander Shoffley. You pick him. Patrick Cantley. Mm, question mark. Patrick Reed. Question mark. <laughs> There's our nine. So uh, Bob took Justin Thomas right out of the gate. I took Jordan Spieth and PK hit DeChambeau. And then the second round, it was uh, Bob with DJ. I took Rom and PK took Rory. And then Bob finished up with Xander and I took Cantley and PK took Reed. So who's going to so win? Pretty much, I pretty much said uh, PK was questionable on every one of his picks. Let me, let me just say this, PK. Um, Bryson has finished, his lowest finish was as an amateur and he tied for 21st. He's never had a top 25 finish as a professional. I, I just don't know if he's, you know, and look, Phil Mickelson, it took him a long time to figure out Augusta, and he was a much better player than DeChambeau. I just think there's a combination that you have to figure out. There's, there, there's power. Sure, power is important. But the, the thing that surprises me so much is that as the, for as all the scientific approach that, that DeChambeau takes to the game of golf, um, like driving and distance itself is probably – the least most important thing when it comes to Augusta. I mean, I, I don't want to minimize it. It helps. But he's, figured, he's trying to figure out how to take it over the trees out of bounds on one and draw it over the bunker to leave himself a little wedge shot when he really needs to be figured out where do I need to leave it, in what spots to attack, which areas of the green, and, and where not to miss it. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to, you know, over the years, I was, I was privileged to sit with Billy Casper at Augusta, and we're watching on the monitor, and, and him describe, you know, different areas and different shots. And, you know, and, and that's why I love Justin Thomas and, and his chances, because what he's essentially do, did is he found, as he, in his words, I, thought I was lucky enough to be in that group with Tiger and Fred Couples, in these practice rounds. And so he says, I just follow them around like a puppy dog. If they drop at a certain spot and they hit chip shots, as soon as they're done, I walk over and drop it in that same spot and hit chip shots. If they're putting from over here, I walk over and putt from over there. And so it's helping him to learn and understand and figure out this unique combination about the golf course. So I, I don't, look, I don't fault you for picking Bryson DeChambeau. The guy's number five player in the world and he's a reigning U.S. Open champ and, you know, he's got a distance for days and, and certainly maybe there's something up his sleeve and he breaks through and wins and nobody would discount that. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's an amazing, he's a great, great player, world, world player, but it just, 
And by the way, he, he's coming in a little more humbly to the Masters this this time than he did back in November when he popped in with a lot of bravado and and kind of got shot down. So, um, but but he is an interesting one. And, and the fact that when I look at trends for the Masters, he's not necessarily trending in a way that I would suggest he's ready to win there. Right, but you got to understand, Brian. I pick last. I let the other guys have it. That somehow I've been slotted as last, which is the story of my life, obviously. I'm assigned last. And two years ago, I picked Tiger, and nobody picked him. So it, it's sweeter Bam. when I win. You know, anybody, oh, I'm going to take Dustin Johnson. I'm going to take Justin Thomas. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. Okay. I mean, those are obvious. I got to go off the beaten path a little bit. And what I think is going to make the difference is earlier in the week, Bryson DeChambeau was on the range and standing next to him was Vijay Singh. (laughs) And I once was in the same workout room at the JW Marriott in Vegas with Vijay Singh early on a Saturday morning. The two of us were in there. He had his personal trainer. I was wearing, of course, a, a sleeveless tank top, and we both worked out together. And VJ told Bryson, and I think this is the key, he told him that he wasn't swinging hard enough. He was swinging too easy. So he's going to swing harder, and that's going to make the difference. He's not going to have to go over any trees because he's going to hit the ball so freaking hard, he's going to go through the trees. So if I'm connecting the dots here, somehow with BJ standing on the range next to Bryson and the fact that you worked out in a tank top with he and his personal trainer at the J-Dub some time ago, that is going to all come together in the cosmos and he's going to be wearing a green jacket at the end of the week. I'm following You're you. focused like a laser. You totally understand this story. I know. I, I can't believe I missed it in the beginning. I should have never underestimated you, PK. My, my apologies right off the bat. Yes, he was down there to play – in the Vegas tournament, and I was down there to go to a Jimmy Buffett concert that night. And there it is, Jimmy Buffett. I I mean, I'm I'm smacking myself in the head. What am I thinking? And Jimmy's long off the tee himself, so. (laughs) (laughs) Which surprises me because he's more of a laid-back fella. You think he'd be, uh, you know, kind of a a little softer off the tee with all that laid-back (laughs) stuff. Let me just fill you in on one detail on PK's whole story there. He does pick third. He volunteered to pick third. He was laying a trap. He wanted to go three. <laughs> he picked Tiger. Tiger wasn't, if you remember, it's not like Tiger won eight times on tour going into that. And mm-hmm. Bob had pumped Tiger up forever. It was a total trap. He took Tiger. Tiger won. And PK just roasted. I mean, he just tortured <laughs> poor Bob. It was a thing of beauty. It was a work of art. He's playing the victim now. But I'm telling you, sly like a fox, he knew what he was doing all along. Let's let Bob go first. He's the guest. And so Bob does go first all the time. And I go second because PK knows I don't know what I'm doing. And so he'll probably get his guy a third anyway. And then he gets to play the victim and win. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> and then that night when Tiger... Tiger went one when he won. I went and bought a tiger hat, a tiger shirt, and I had black pants, and I looked like Tiger. Uh, I did my Tiger impression that night on Channel Two. Yeah, no, you had it right the first time. You do look like Tiger. I mean, I mean, just from that workout all those years ago. <laughs> nice. Tiger, nice. Yeah. <laughs> hey, on a serious note about Deschambeau, though, I'm flicking around yesterday and I hit some of ESPN's master coverage. Right, they got Andy North down there with Scott Van Pelt, and they're talking about a bunch of stuff. And then they go to Deschambeau, and they've got video of him on the range. 
and he's calling for a golf ball. I mean, it looks like straight out of the movies, right? You're going to try to hit 10 in a row over the water. I mean, is it just tin cup and you're Kevin Costner? And he's putting it down, he's teeing up, and he is lashing. It looked like a boxing workout. He is just like sweats flying off him. Like like he's into Patrick Ewing all-time sweating territory. I'm starting to sweat and I'm just sitting in a chair watching TV. And he come back to Andy North and Andy North is laughing and Andy's like I love that. He didn't actually love it. It entertained him. He didn't love anything about it. And, you know, he's got all the worries you think he might have, but it entertained him. He wants Deschambeau to do well. You can tell he thinks it's a story and he thinks it's interesting, but he also thinks it's not the way to go. Is I mean, we all saw Tiger. We heard people say Tiger's body is going to break down, and then Tiger's body did break down. Is it just inevitable? Or are we just counting the weeks and the months until Deschambeau does? Yeah, I mean that that's been the question. I've I've heard it mentioned on Golf Channel, ESPN, you know, amongst everybody is saying, you know, is that sustainable? Is going that hard sustainable because golf is much more of a marathon, you know, type career than a than than a sprint. I mean, you you know, guys play for a couple of decades out there or more. And um yeah, you know, I look at Brooks Kepka. Maybe we'll talk about him, but I mean, Brooks is playing this week and he had knee surgery three weeks ago, right? I mean, you know, that, that's as fit of a guy as you could have. Tiger, you know, when, when his book came out in, the, in 2000-ish, like The Way I Play, or I think is what it was called, he talked about snapping the left knee in order to generate power. And, you know, he's had a dozen, half a dozen knee surgeries on that knee because of that, that motion. And, you know, and yet he was real wiry back then too. And then everyone's everyone's lifting and bulking, and and I'm not going to suggest that's not the way to go. But it it is interesting to me when you just sit back and look at it. The Phil Mickelson, you know, sort of the anti-Tiger, the anti-Deshambo. You know, he he's the one that's been able to stay healthy this whole time, and he has more of a long, fluid, more lanky style golf swing than the loaded up and go all after it. Now, now Phil has been chasing it. He's got his coffee workout and he's losing weight and he's, you know, he's trying to chase speed and quote unquote hit bombs. I get it. And that's, that's just, that's Phil bravado. But at the end of the day, he's got a fairly smooth swing and he's been able to have a, a, a nice long career. So can DeChambeau sustain it? It doesn't seem like it. I mean, just watching that, my back hurt like most people. Um, and that was a drill, by the way. I watched him again this morning, early this morning on the range, and he was swinging much more controlled, more normal-looking golf swing than that. That was a speed drill that he does, and it certainly was for effect. Uh, and I thought Hans' comment was, was – and Scott, Scott Gerardo's comment was great. He's just kind of trying to get in everybody's kitchen with all that, you know, and get in their heads like he did with Rory. But um, I, I can't think that that kind of going hard at it with a golf swing, your body's just not made to do the things the golf swing does. And so the harder you go, the I think the shorter your career is. Okay, but so what? If he has 14 majors and 80 wins and he's done by 38, doesn't he? every single PGA golfer sign up for that and say, oh, 100%. absolutely? 100%. But I don't, I mean, like, like I said, you know, it, to, the, to, to this point, the results aren't there. Yeah, he blew the field away at Wingfoot. That was, that still is a head scratcher, by the way. Um, and Rory came out and, and tried to talk that away with, you know, hey, the longer wedges, you know, and he comes in so steep, he's able to get more, um, more, more angle into the rough and be able to create more, more, uh, more speed through the ball out of that rough, which, you know, that type of thing. But so, okay, maybe he unlocks something there, right, that particular week. But, but to me, I, don't, I mean, I don't see him going out there week in and week out dominating the field. There's players 
that are taking a much more conservative approach that are being more successful and more consistent. So to me, it hasn't proven to be the thing yet. Uh, and and by the way, I, I, it has proven to screw up one of the best drivers of the golf ball in, in recent history in Rory McIlroy. So I don't think it's something that everyone's going to completely jump on board with. But I do think that younger players now, I mean, it, there's, there's got to be something to say, hey, hit it as hard as you can. We'll figure the rest out later. I do think that's a bit of a, of a change in philosophy as opposed to figure out how to hit it straight. And then we'll, we'll lengthen the swing and increase the distance. So it, that, that part of it, I think, is, is definitely a change. All right, your guy. You didn't draft with us, but you know you do want to call your shot. So if you got anything, anybody, because we draft these nine guys, but honestly, more tournaments than not, and we, only, we just do it for the majors, more often than not, though, the winner is not one of the nine guys. So maybe we didn't even mention it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you, you know, I think John Rahm's an interesting story to watch this week. You know, he's, he, his wife and he just had their first baby, and he's, you know, he was fourth in 2018. Um, he shot 66 there. In fact, I think he holds the record for the lowest last 54 holes at 14 under. I mean, the guy has, um, you know, he, he has a ton of talent and he's, he's had top tens in, in three starts there. So he's a guy that, you know, maybe he's coming off this refreshing new feeling that happened. Danny Willett described that after he, when he won that his wife had just had a baby prior to coming. So he's kind of one that maybe doesn't, isn't getting talked about as much. Uh, I think Xander Schauffele is an interesting case. Um, you know, he's playing in his fourth Masters, and he has made 25 birdies back in 2019. The last time it was played in April, he made 25 birdies. That's tied for the second most in Masters history with Phil Mickelson there. Jordan Spieth with 28 is the, is the leader. So I think there's a guy that's shown, look, he, he's played here three times. He knows how to make birdies. He's kind of figured out some of the combination of Augusta National. So I think, I think Xander and Rom are a couple of guys that, that you might want to pay attention to this week. And uh, out, outside of that, I really think the favorites are, are, are there for a reason. And um, the, the most interesting story to me uh, that could probably come out of this outside of maybe Spieth winning another one would be super popular. Dustin trying to defend. That's only happened three times. Uh, but Rory McIlroy is now um, trying for the career Grand Slam for the seventh time. He's also trying to win it in his 12th attempt. Adam Scott, Phil Mickelson, Ray Floyd all won on their 12th attempt. I think that would be a big story as well uh, for the game of golf. So those are those are the storylines that I'm excited to watch. And then, of course, if if Finau can continue his form there at the Masters would be would be fun. But with all of those things converging, and then Brooks coming in and he's going to basically try to play on one leg like Tiger Wood did in 08. I, I think it's a, this is going to be a super compelling week. I think it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch. All right. Well, we got a break now. Pigs in a blanket for everyone. I like it. And if you're going hand style, he wants it uh, sausage wrapped in a pancake dipped in maple syrup, which, by the way, sounds pretty darn good right now. It really does. All right, thank you. We appreciate it. And we'll hear you Saturday morning, Real Golf Radio, you and Bob Casper, uh, every week. Appreciate it, guys. Always good to be with you. All right, there he is. Bob Taylor joining us. Bob Taylor, Brian Taylor joining us, he and Bob Casper uh, alternate all week long and get us our Masters updates right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up, we got Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, former BYU assistant, Utah staff member, Jazz and the Suns tonight. How big a game is this? We got a lot of you weighing in on that, and you're all over the map. We will get to that and try to explain next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. 
This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Brian Taylor joining us, Real Golf Radio. So the appetizer starts with pigs in a blanket. That's delicious. And you got to hand it to Dustin Johnson to put pigs in a blanket on a Masters Club dinner. Like, is there a more prestigious in all of sports dinner? club and he goes with pigs in a blanket and then oh by the way just class up the joint we're gonna go lobster and corn fritters look we all enjoy pigs in a blanket i just don't know if that's uh, a master's dinner that's all i've got the image of me eating like four of those just before i get into my filet with lobster tail and how that would be i like how you're like pair well you're like hey bring more of those over here <laughs> <laughs> hey faldo can i have yours yeah <laughs> i'm hungry Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. Working from home and with a hybrid workforce, get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call them at 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. 385-420-7881 or syringanetworks.net. All right, given the Jazz loss in Dallas, how big is this game with the Suns? Top two records in the NBA. Brandon says it's important. Playoff positioning, home court advantage. We lose and the Suns on the season head-to-head tiebreaker against us. Brandon is all in. Meanwhile, Cody says it's a regular season game. It feels like there is some importance to tonight's game. It does help cushion the one seed, and it does build confidence going forward. And I think if there's anything you could take away, confidence, PGA. Confidence matters a lot. How often do you see a winner who questions whether they can do it or not? By the time you're ready to win big, you know you're ready to win big, and you're carrying that confidence. So whatever builds that confidence, I'm all in favor of. Well, yeah, I don't know how you can argue with that. Right. So confidence, I'll, baby. Well, I think that for teams that haven't proven it, it's just that you haven't proven it. So you have to find uh, building blocks. Okay, that that's a building good, blocks good to get sure. where you want to go, and that's the Jazz, and that's the Suns, and that's the Bucks. Yeah, yeah, and f- although I believe in the Jazz the more Sixers. than that, but I but I get that there's not a lot of folks who do, and then see you want to avoid a bunch of. Uh, slumps or uh, any slump, and, and and when they lost four out of six, that was a little bit of a slump, right? Well, then they came out of it and they won uh, eight or nine games, whatever it was in a row. Well, now you know they're they're on a one game losing streak. That certainly isn't a slump. But if you lose to Phoenix tonight, I have to assume Conley's not playing tomorrow, and Damian Lillard just went two of fourteen. He's so due. that that <laughs> scares me, man. Uh, you know, and Powell had a big game, so maybe he's not capable of reproducing that, but. It just seems like Lillard, particularly when he comes to town, somehow he views it as a bigger game because he played up the road there at Weber, and uh, you know maybe he's got some folks in town. If it's uh, Randy Ray and his guys, whoever it might be, they go to the game. It just seems that he plays well when he comes to town, and so when he play, even probably plays well when he played the Jazz in Portland. But then you're potentially looking at a three gamer. You know, if Conley doesn't play tomorrow, well, it's going to be tough enough with Mike in the lineup because you're going to you're going to lose an hour. You're going to get back even later and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And 
and Portland should be, you know, they're going to be fully rested, and, you know, all that evens out, I believe, over the course of 82, and then I think it evens out over the course, in this case, maybe not as much as 72, but nevertheless, Portland has an advantage. So you want to avoid these mini slumps, so uh, win tonight, and then if you should lose tomorrow, it doesn't seem like it's as a big deal, but if you lose three in a row, oh, see, man, wow, look at his team. I think you got Sacramento on Saturday, so you should find a way to get back in the win column there. But you want to maintain a level of what I would say even greatness because I think to this point, they have they're 50 games now. They have maintained a level of greatness pretty much consistently throughout the whole season, even with the fact that they had lost that four out of six that one little stretch. All right, time to welcome in Tim Lacombe. You hear him on the Jazz pregame shows, halftime, postgame with Jake Scott. They will get things rolling at 7 o'clock tonight. The game will tip off at 8 o'clock. It's on ESPN. Tim, good morning. Why are we talking about losing, PK? Garbage. (laughs) I mean, can we talk about winning? Yeah. Can we talk about losing? Well, when they win, we will talk about winning. But they freaking lost the other night. That's fresh on my mind. I live in the moment, Timmy La. And because I live in the moment, they're coming off a loss. So they dictate what I talk about, not myself. Okay, hold on. Because I'm going to use your words against you. You live in the moment, but you're talking all about Damian Lillard. We play Chris Paul tonight, bro. We play in Phoenix tonight. Come on, man. Why in the moment increases the desire and necessity to win. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Because I live in the moment, but prepare for the future. So when it gets here, I am ready to go, and nothing catches me unprepared. I love this guy. I mean, you cannot win an argument. I was just going to try. And he's already got me, so screw it. Well, I'm basically just living a Christmas carol. Even in April. Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future. So I'm looking back at Dallas, the Suns tonight, and Portland tomorrow. That's my focus. See, you're, By the way, you're three best. You're a rational guy. Your yeah. head's on a swivel, DJ. Your on a on swivel. Pitter patter. Pitter patter. Quick feet. Sorry. Bob Kloppenberg yeah. goes to Bob Klopp. Wait, I think Bob's still alive. Anyway. Okay, so you, you come to all these games. And you're in studio with Jake. And I know from doing TV for a few years that you think you're all in on all these games, watching them all the time. But the fact is, you can't get around, walk around the kitchen, you know, get on phone calls and all that. You got to sit through the blowouts. And everyone else says, yeah, I watched the Orlando game, but they checked out midway through the second quarter. The final four was on, and your butt was in the chair because you got to talk for an hour after the game is over, at least 45 minutes, probably an hour after the game is over. So I'm just curious if you've got a little more energy for the games this week. I mean, you've always got energy for them because you literally can't leave early. You can't be the fan leaving Dodger Stadium in the seventh inning. So you're a little more fired up this week because these games do seem like they all mean more. Yeah, I, uh, I really been, have been looking forward to this, uh, this Phoenix game. Uh, you know, I thought that when Phoenix played the Jazz early in the season, you know, they really kind of had their way with them defensively. And, and it was before the Jazz kind of got on a roll. I think uh, 
I think their loss to Phoenix made them four and four, and then they obviously went on a eleven win game win streak. Um, but Phoenix did some things defensively, really got up and pressured, caused the issues, um, you know, and it kind of hurt the Jazz. So I'm curious to see, you know, what the kind of what both teams do as an adjustment and um, and how that game's played tonight. It'll be really, really interesting. And then obviously you got one and two, so in the West, um, so it's a great game. What do you do with Booker? Because he's an elite-level scorer as far as making sure he's probably going to get his, but he doesn't get in the 40 range. Yeah, and that's hard uh, because, you know, the hardest part about about Booker is he's he's somebody I call an anytime, anywhere shooter. And uh, I really do believe in watching him some that the, the start of games is important. You know, if the Jazz can do a decent job to start the game on him um, – you know, there's some carryover. And the biggest thing, you're not going to stop him, right? It's it's a it's a, a defensive mindset that, hey, you've got to be mindful of him and you've got to make every shot difficult, but you have to live with the ones that he makes that are tough. And he makes a lot of tough twos. Um, so you can't let that get you discouraged. Uh, really, the game plan will be uh, put in place and the guys will execute it. And I would imagine Booker will be a, a huge part of – you know, the Jazz being able to win the game if they can kind of keep him in check. All right, so another guy I'd like to talk about because I sense he's really important. I haven't watched enough Suns basketball to completely pull this apart and dive in on it. Um, but for uh, PK, or maybe PK's sisters who introduced him to music, to music, he is the fifth Beatle. I guess for the younger fans, he is, is basically he's Royce O'Neal, who we know is really important to the Jazz, and he gets a lot less run than any other Jazz player does. If you're just, you know, I don't know, watching highlights on ESPN or reading whatever power ranking on whatever website you go to, what about Bridges? Because he, he could be the O'Neal comparison. He's played every game. They play him 32 minutes. He started all 49 games, but he's not getting the run that Paul or Booker or Aiton gets, but he must be playing all those minutes and all those games for a reason. He's giving him something. Yeah, he's he's a he's a terrific defender, and similar to what you talked about with Royce, he really is kind of a three and D guy for them. Um, I think that his I think that his uh, his biggest strength, you know, is he has a, a real feel for where to be on the defensive end, and then he's capable of making shots. And so, uh, not a guy that's going to get a ton of press, but like Royce has been for the Jazz, a guy who will really you know, do all the little dirty things, all the all the little things that nobody else really wants to do. Um, you know, Bridges does that kind of in spades. And I feel like another guy, um, Jay Crowder, is has been really good for the for the Suns as well. Um, you know, former Jazz guy brings a level of toughness. Um, was obviously with Miami last year on their great run. So uh, Jay brings a great level of enthusiasm, excitement, and can make some shots. You know, he really kind of hurt the Jazz the first game here in Salt Lake. I sort of like how Bogdanovich is not abandoning the three, but is expanding his game because the three hasn't been hitting, hasn't been dropping the way he normally is uh, accustomed to. So with that in mind, it's clear that he's decided to drive the ball to the basket, get some more two-pointers that are close to it, that that's the way to help. So I appreciate him doing that. Yeah, I felt like um, you know that's something he did last year that, I didn't really know he had in his game. Um, 
I think Quinn's done a good job of not just letting you know letting him kind of stand out there and shoot threes till they fall. He's gotten them opportunities to drive it, and he's also got him post ups. And I, I told Jake a couple times that post up game, depending on the matchup, we're going to see a lot of that in the playoffs because it's been really efficient. And if if you don't bring a second defender, Bojan's really good at scoring that little shot down there in the restricted area. Uh, and if teams do bring a defender, then you've got another way to get the blender started and get wide open catch-and-shoot threes. So I, I really like the way that they're using Bojan. I think part of him driving it and finishing better is his wrist is probably a little better than it was to start the season. And uh, I think he trusts a little more. And so I think that all those things, uh, you know, I think Bojan's played better. He's, uh, he's looked better. He's played better. His confidence has been better, and that's certainly good for the Jazz. So the logic that, uh, you know, Portland lost to the Clippers and Damian Lillard went two for 14, so that should scare Jazz fans because he'll probably be on in Portland. Shouldn't all that logic be applied to Donovan Mitchell? He's coming off an 0 for 8 game from the three-point arc. Shouldn't he come out, fill it up, and have a big game against the Suns? And when he's filling it up, when we see Bubble Donovan and he gets on a roll, a lot of problems go away. I stunned him into submission. The sheer logic of that article just blew Tim away. We we lost you there. I'm just saying if everyone's going to be sweating Damian Lillard, which they should be, he's coming off a 2-for-14, he he might light it up against the Jazz. Well, Donovan Mitchell's coming off for an 0-for-8 in Dallas. Why can't he light up the Suns? And if he lights them up, well, then a lot of problems go away. The 0-for-8, probably of all the things in the Dallas game, it really surprised me because Donovan took good shots, and he's been taking – He's been, he's been very, very aggressive, particularly to start games. Um, but I've loved how locked in he's been, and his shot selection's been good. Uh, I feel like that, you know, he, he got eight shots last night or uh, the other night against Dallas that he normally makes a, a good percentage of. So for him to go 0 for 8 was a real surprise. I, I totally agree. I think Donovan will be, uh, would be really important tonight because, again, the way that Phoenix plays defense, they really pressure you. And the only way you can, you can uh, really deal with pressure is you have to either back cut pressure off the ball or you've got to drive pressure on the ball. And Donovan's capable of, of driving pressure and getting where he wants to get on the floor. So he's going to be really important to the Jazz tonight. And I think he can have a great game. How disappointing were, were you when Gonzaga did not win? I was bummed. Uh, you know, I'm happy. He calling us from the bottom of a well today. We don't usually have these problems with Tim. All right. Yak will try to reconnect with Tim. I think we've lost him. Well, he was bummed, PK. He knows those guys. He has relationships. It's hard to get where they got. But what he just said applied to Gonzaga. They faced a lot of pressure, and they even had a timeout with few where he was, you could tell with the hand motions, he was telling them, back cuts. They're pressing us. we got to go back door. It's wide open. But they didn't get it done. They did not. Didn't no. get it done. Didn't get enough backdoor layups to relieve that pressure. Yeah, and college is a little bit different. You know, the NBA, it seems like you have runs. Yeah. So if you don't get it this year, you probably got a chance next year where college you never really know. But expound upon your feelings on Gonzaga losing, Tim. Well, I was, you know, I was, I just drove down a well. I apologize. I had to back out of it. Um, but 
I, I felt like, you know, the Zags, they had to use so much energy in the UCLA game. But all that being said, I just think Baylor was better. I think they were deeper. They were more physical. Um, I got to know Scott Drew when we played him a couple of times. In, in, they came out here to BYU. We went and played them there in Baylor, and then we played him in the NIT. He's a great guy. He's done a great job building a program for a long time. You know, i got to give AD credit because nowadays, you know, there was a period of time where people were pretty down on Scott Drew. And, you know, when we played him in the NIT, I mean, he had a lot of dudes come through there that were really, really good. We played Pierre Jackson, played in the, M- in the NBA. Um, you know, Royce was obviously on Baylor's team. Uh, they had good big guys for years, and they just couldn't break through. They couldn't win. Uh, enough games, you know, to make the tournament consistently. They were in a NIT, and the AD stuck with it. And, I mean, Scott's been there 18 years. Um, I don't think that's done most places. I think we just saw, you know, at Utah, people, you don't make the tournament a couple years in a row and everybody's hair starts on fire. Um, so credit to the AD. Uh, a ton of credit to the AD there. Uh, certainly a former coach can appreciate um the the fact that scott drew was doing a good job just wasn't breaking through and they hung with him and he got through so i'm bummed about gonzaga i love love everything about their program love mark fuse unbelievable guy um and i I would i would say they'll be back um you know like you said pk you never know if you're going to win it and even getting back there sometimes is uh is really difficult because it's all about matchups um but i i'm I loved watching the final or the NCAA tournament this year. It was so nice to have it back. So two coaching changes here on the Wasatch front with uh, Craig Smith filling one and creating the second one. You hearing anything about uh, staffs, players, recruiting? Any early vibe for those two fan bases about where these programs may be headed? Uh, a little bit about. You know, my understanding is that Utah, uh, you know, I think Craig's cleaning house. I don't think he's going to keep anybody around. Um, I, I think, you know, which is totally understandable. I think that'd be hard to do sometimes to come in and do your thing, but have guys that have been there before. So um, I think that more than anything, you know, he, he's got to a good start. He'd be brought his main guy from Utah State for his bringing. And, and I know DeMarlo Slocum's there as well, who's a former Ute and was there with Larry. So excited about that. Um, Ryan Odom, you know, that was a name that I'd heard a little bit. Wasn't sure of how it fit, but now I kind of understand there's a connection um, with the Jazz, and, and uh, Ryan's brother's a scout for the Jazz. Um, I, I don't know him personally. Watched him from a distance a long time. He obviously pulled off one of the great upsets in the history of college basketball. And I really like that. You know, they made it a nationwide search. They went out and found a guy who has been successful at a quote-unquote mid-major uh, or small major, and and I think that the I think that it'll be exciting for for Utah State. I know they're having the press conference today, so it'll be interesting to hear kind of some of the things said. I have no idea what he's doing staff-wise there. Um, I would assume you know with the connections to the Jazz and that sort of thing, he understands the importance of of putting culture, you know, and understanding the culture here and having somebody that does that. So, I mean, that, if I ever talked to Ryan, that would be my advice. Um, I don't think you got to sell out in that regard, but I think it's good to know the lay of the land. 
So you saw that uh, you said that he's uh, uh, Smith's not retaining any of the coaches. Well, we already saw one of the coach's sons go into the transfer porter. Does that mean they're going to lose both of them? Because obviously Chris Jones is a coach there, and his son was on the staff, on the team. You know what? I don't know that that's uh, in the cards. I know from, from my conversation, I think Ryland's played, you know, has been up there working out. And so um, how that all works out is always a little bit tricky because, you know, uh, Ryland's been at Utah now a couple of years, and although things have changed, there's still teammates and that sort of thing. I don't know that there's any indication one way or the other. Um, you know, I've tried to give my guys up there space to kind of figure things out. Um, certainly a possibility, I would guess, but I don't know for sure where that stands right now. Tim, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Your genius emanates even from the bottom of Wells. So wherever you are, weekly, we hope for another appearance from you. Well, I, I, pre- I apologize for my late arrival and my uh, – I, I had to take I had to take a call in the car. I don't like to do that, but I'm on my way to a, a meeting. And so thank you for bearing with my <laughs> technical difficulties. All right, Tim, you're the man. We will hear you tonight, 7 o'clock, Zone Sports Network. You and Jake Scott getting us ready for the Jazz game at 8. Sounds great. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day. All right, Tim Lacombe, pregame host with Jake Scott, 7 o'clock for the pregame, 8 o'clock for the Jazz and the Suns right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. He covers college sports for the Washington Post. He's Patrick Stevens. Let's tell Aggie fans what kind of head coach they're getting. They're getting a guy that is a really sharp cookie. UMBC had had seven consecutive 20-loss seasons and won 41 games in that span. It was really not a good situation to be walking into and immediately wins 21 games, figures out a way to recruit quickly and reload a program that hadn't done much for a decade. And then, obviously, the next year pulls that memorable upset against Virginia. His teams play really good defense, really elevated that UMBC program program during his five years in the Baltimore suburbs, and I think Utah State's getting a really, really good coach. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you part by Mark Miller. DJ PK in the mornings brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. All right, we just heard from Tim Lacombe about the Jazz and the Suns tonight. How big a game is this in J-Red? Here for laughs, hashtag NBA, hashtag fitness, good vibes. And that's a long handle there, Jay. Biggest of the big, hugest of the huge. All the chips got pushed to the middle of the table. Someone muttered call. Eyeballs flicked to the left and right. Someone audibly dry swallowed their own lack of spit. It's key. They want the season series. Can still get the number one seed with a loss, though. Well, then it's not the biggest of the big. You don't face elimination, so to speak. You can still get the one seed with a loss. Both these things can't be true, PK. They can't be. I think it's big on the progression to the one seed. I think that's where we're going with this. They all add up, and you don't want to have slumps, especially for a team that has not proven anything in the postseason. They haven't. There's no other way around it. Back-to-back losses in the opening round. Blew a 3-1 lead. Yeah. Star player says, we're done with this first-round exit stuff. Frustration clear and present in his voice, as it should be. 
it would be frustrating if it weren't. So, yeah, how can you argue that? You're spot on. And he said that months later. He didn't say that in the moment. Maybe he said it in the moment, too, but he said it months later. So I like that conviction. So this is, And this is a team that needs to win and needs to win now because they've got three guys in their rotation that I think we could obviously argue the top six because uh, – or I guess Clarkson is there, too, so top seven – uh, is are in their 30s in with uh, Joe and Bogdanovich and, and, and Conley here. So they could very well be back next year and play very well. I'm not saying that, but you, there's no guarantees. There's no assurances in any of this stuff here. So they've been really, they've been really a great opportunity right now. Yes, and they've been very healthy this year, and you just don't get that all the time. They certainly didn't have it last year. Right, they lost Conley uh, for a big chunk of the season early. Then they lost Bogey in the bubble. You're healthy right. now. Strike now. You know, there's no guarantee. Right, right now the net seems somebody has a hamstring strain. I mean, just just as they're getting Durant back, they're losing Harden. Uh, uh, Kyrie Irving, you know, didn't make a road trip earlier. I mean, you never know who's coming and going. And there's stuff you can't control. Stuff happens in people's lives, and stuff happens to people. When I guess we should put that, you know, Joe had a, his, probably his poor stretch as he's played, and he said later, well, it's because of his kid and what they were going through with the diagnosis with autism. So you never know when that stuff. And right now they seem to have everything lined up. So you got to strike while things are, are breaking your way. Yeah, I agree. I, and that's, that's why I want to see them go ahead. And all the, it's not like there's a bunch of stuff that ails them. I'm not saying that. And like, it's not a must win. I think there's a difference between a big game and a must win. And this is a big game. It is not yeah. a must-win. They could win this game and still screw up a winnable playoff series in, in the postseason. They could also lose this game and then be brilliant in May and June in the playoffs. I guess we have to throw in July now, right? Because it'll be playoffs in July. Um, so, But confidence matters. And the biggest storyline that worries the Jazz is, yeah, you've gotten real good, but there's a ceiling you haven't cracked through. And you're much better at dominating the middle and bottom of the league, but still not quite there when it comes to the top of the league. That's a fear of Jazz fans. It's certainly something that's been said by a lot of people. It's kind of the predominant storyline nationally, right? Shaq brought it front and center on a TNT postgame after a Jazz win. But there had been other people. Let's not put it all on Shaq. And that storyline gets reinforced if you lay an egg in Phoenix, and then probably if you lay an egg in Portland, too. And after this, you got a bunch of games where you're back to beating the middle and bottom of the league. Sacramento, who's had a nice run, but Sacramento, Washington, Oklahoma City, and Indiana, eh. the next week is, eh. you know. Seattle, San Francisco, too. Yeah. (laughs) All right, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone, and Yawk wants us to turn our attention to the Masters and give away a golfer right now. Somebody wins. Somebody qualifies, actually. You don't win, but you qualify. You win a Golf Masters giveaway. If you call it 12 right now at 855-340-ZONE, you will qualify for this year's Masters tournament, and you will be partnered with... Colin Morikawa. Ah, the PGA champ dominated at Harding Park. If Morikawa wins, you get the same brand of driver that he's got in his bag. Call in now, 855-340-9663, and get yourself qualified. 855-340-ZONE, all brought to you by UNA Golf. Serving Utah golfers since 1971.